This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Goes by the pseudonym Bo Snurdly. It's time for the soul of excellence. He is a radio host at 77 WABC here in New York. The Rush Hour is on the air. Rush, Rush. Now here's Bo Snurdly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Welcome to your Wednesday Rush Hour. If you'd like to be part of the program, 800-848-WABC is the number to call. 800-848-9222. Today is Heritage Day. We will be speaking with the president of the new Heritage Foundation, Dr. Kevin Roberts, about all the things that matter in Washington, D.C., There are things happening in New York you need to be made aware of, too. Governor Kathy Hochul has proposed a record-breaking budget. Now, just think about that for a moment. We have more residents leaving New York for, let's say, tax-friendlier environments around the country. And we have uh, more illegal immigrants coming in, which is adding to the cost of government in New York, and yet we get a record-breaking budget with taxpayers by the score fleeing our jurisdiction. Kathy Hochul proposed a record $227 billion budget. It is packed with progressive spending priorities. New York Post says that. Packed with controversial policy proposals, including, of course, limits on your gas stove. The governor enjoys cooking on her own gas stoves, but for the sake of climate change, this this climate change thing that Democrats have embraced like a religion, she doesn't want you to cook on yours, and she doesn't want you to have one. Typical of the authoritarian leadership that we get down from liberals. Now, I will not say that universally it is all bad in the budget. There is one, at least, there's one good thing in her budget. One thing that is sort of an acknowledgement of how bad things are. One of the things that she wants to do is expand judicial discretion by eliminating a requirement that judges give criminal defendants the least restrictive conditions ahead of trials. That is the bail law that allows criminals to roam the streets and prey on innocent human beings. So now she wants to bring back judicial discretion to a degree. But what good is judicial discretion if the judges that have the discretion are a bunch of liberals who agree with this nonsense in the first place and are of the cut them loose mentality? So that's a way of her acknowledging, well, we got to do something, you know. People are being killed, raped, murdered, pillaged every day. We got to pretend that we care. So let's give the judges a little bit more discretion instead of just saying this bail reform business has been bad for New York and has to go, period. And we are going to institute 
sentences proportionate with the crimes they commit if they're convicted. But before that, we're also going to impose bail conditions based on the seriousness of what these alleged criminals are charged with at the time that the crimes are alleged and they are charged. It's a very simple fix, but she refuses to take it. So it is a half measure. Ms. Hochul is also proposing the state pick up a third of the cost associated with the entry of illegal immigrants into New York. She wants to, and this is where I think we are going to see some conflict with Democrats and her own party. She has said that she wants to see school charters expanded in New York. Now, you know, liberal Democrats are dead set against that. They want children trapped in these government failing schools. They don't want parents or students to have freedom to actually get their children into performing schools. I went to a school recently that is one of the most amazing charter schools in the country. And granted, it cost a lot of money to put this school up. One day I'll maybe do a podcast about it. But the kids at this school, compare this to what your students get. I won't name the school just yet, but compare this to what the, this, compare this to what your school is like. Every student has a laptop capable of doing high-level work, rendering, and so forth. Every student, there's a dress code. So you don't see um, students. I have to be careful with my language here because what I wanted to say would have gotten me in a lot of trouble. But you don't see young ladies dressed as if they're about ready to go on a street walk at night on 42nd, the old 42nd Street. Instead, you you know, and that's not to say that you don't see the short skirts and this or whatever they call them, skorts, or I don't know what they call these things these days, but the girls wear them and they they show they're, they're all leggy and everything. But it's not like, okay, here's everything on display. And the boys are allowed to wear things. They have a choice as to, you know, depending on whether it's summer or winter, in the summer they can wear shorts or whatever. And, and and they all have polo shirts and all that. So there's a dress code. But this school also has a class that is devoted to teach kids how to be entrepreneurs. It's an entrepreneurial class that they can take. They have a full sports program. And included in the sports program is a health and wellness center. So if a kid has an injury, whether they got it playing sports, whether they got it at home, They have licensed medical professionals. This is a high school at the school that can treat the kids at school so they don't have to miss school and also treat members of the faculty. They have a full weight room, a full swimming pool, track, the whole nine. They have an aviation course complete with a real flight simulator. So the kids and kids can go in high school and start amassing the hours should they want to pursue an aviation career. They have a full arts program, 
a full music program, a dance, a dance studio inside the school. All with, with, with trained professionals, they have an amazing arts program, and you should see some of the artwork that comes out of there. It looks like it's ready to be sold or licensed now. It's professional by the time these kids get out of school. Now, all of that is possible in New York, but you know what? It is not in the schools. And by the way, there are no metal detectors when you come into the school because the kids are vetted. And they're not coming in gang-banging, fighting, trying to beat up teachers, trying to beat up themselves. All of this is possible. And there is a standard of excellence that is upheld. It is possible that children in America can be educated. Now, Ms. Hochul says she wants to expand charter schools. It's those kind of schools that, like the one I just described. And it is, I'm also on the board of directors of a, of a charter school. And this charter school offers kids a chance to, while they're in high school, learn how to become filmmakers, learn how to become recording engineers, recording, whatever. And this is another school. There's no bullying. There never has been. Kids come into the school ready to learn, ready to learn how to work cooperatively with each other. And there are kids that are off spectrum in these schools, both of them that I mentioned. And the off spectrum kids or on spectrum, they're on the spectrum, are treated like everyone else and they succeed. It is possible to educate children in America. Okay, and so... Although Democrats would like to see the masses of children still trapped in these failing schools, Ms. Hochul, to her credit, to your credit, Governor Hochul, you have done something brave here and stood up for charter schools in New York, and you are to be commended for that. Now, the rest of your insane budget, this gas stove business and all the rest of it, no, no points there. Oh, and additional money is going to the MPA. She wants to raise taxes on the payroll mobility tax within the MTA service region. A one-shoot funding increase of roughly $300 million to help modernize public transit. Yeah, help modernize public transit. Why don't you focus on making public transportation safe in New York? People are still afraid to take the subways because you let the criminals wander and have their way. So there's not a lot not to like about the budget, but there is a lot to like. This is infuriating. Here's a story before the break. Do you know, have you ever been to the Smithsonian Air and Space Museum? Anyway, Scott, have you been to the Smithsonian Air and Space? I don't think so, no. I have. Hey, is Jen tied up? I haven't been as well. No. Yeah, it is an amazing museum. How about you, Jason? Yeah, I've been as a kid. I've been there. Did you enjoy your trip there? I love it. I love going to those museums and space and everything. Yeah, I've been to the Smithsonian Air and Space. I was surprised. Um, I was a little, to be totally frank with you, I was a little there are some amazing things to see. When you see how small the capsule is that John Glenn was actually in, 
when you see how small that thing was, and you're saying this guy was in outer space in this little thing that you could fit, you could fit like three or four or five of them in the control room. And you're saying to yourself, this is, this was, and, and, and your iPhone or your smartphone has more computing power than that spacecraft did. It's astounding. It's amazing if you think about just being claustrophobic. I mean, I hate being even on, on a roller coaster ride, being strapped in there. So being out in space and not being able to move, I mean, it takes a special kind of person. It does. Well, if you went to the, uh, to the Smithsonian National Air and Space Museum and you were a Catholic student, high school student, with your chaperone on January 20th, you were asked to leave because you had on hats that the security people and the liberals there didn't like. They said pro-life. The words were pro-life on it. And they were asked to either remove their clothing or get out. They were escorted out of the building. It is an egregious violation of their rights. The Smithsonian now, there is a lawsuit. The American Center for Law and Justice represents the parents of some of the students. They say the museum staff mocked these Catholic students. They hurled expletives at them. This is, the Smithsonian is paid for with your tax dollars. And yet these students were cursed at, mocked. These security people said, this is a neutral zone. Political and religious messages not allowed in America. And they were thrown out. Well, a spokesperson for the museum has now released something. Asking visitors to remove hats and clothing is not in keeping with our policy or protocols. We provided immediate training to prevent a reoccurrence of this kind of incident and have determined steps to ensure this does not happen again, says Allison Wood, the museum's deputy director of communications. Nobody got fired. And they should have been fired on the spot. But it's only Catholics. It's only religious people. It's only people who believe in God. So why would they be fired in America today for mocking them, cursing at them because they dare just have two words on the hats, pro-life? James Golden, a.k.a. Snurley, coming back. We have Dr. Kevin Roberts with us today. We're coming back. Your phone calls are welcome. 800-848-WABC, 848-9222. Coming back shortly. This is The Rush Hour with Bose Nerdly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Born to be wild. Does that sound like you? There are some major stories concerning the media today. And we will get into one of them right now. The... This is, to me, almost, I should say, stunning, but it's really not when you think about the state of the news media. DailyBS.com has the story today, the DailyBS.com. Major news outlets say they're ditching objectivity in the name of diversity. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Leaders of news organizations are eschewing journalistic objectivity claiming it is antithetical to a diversity of views 
in their newsrooms. Two journalism scholars, the former executive editor for the Washington Post, the Amazon Prime Washington Post, Leonard Downey Jr., and the former CBS News president, Andrew Hayward, interviewed over 75 media leaders to gauge how the industry views the concept of objectivity today. The media figures argue that journalists should include their own beliefs, biases, and experience to convey truth, and that journalistic objectivity was unrealistic or undesirable. Now listen to this. Emilio Garcia Ruiz, the editor-in-chief at the San Francisco Chronicle, has this to say. Objectivity has to go. Why? Well, according to Downey, a lot of these people believe that pursuing objectivity can lead to false balance or misleading both sideism. In other words, what you and I can, hey, let's tell both sides of the story. No, 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 no. You see, that's false. That is a false balance. When it comes to covering stories about race, the treatment of women, LGBTQ rights, income inequality, climate change, etc. It's negates. This is this is <laughs> reporting the news objectively negates many of these journalists' own identities, their life experience and cultural context. It keeps them from quote unquote pursuing truth in their work. Journalists of color and LGBTQ journalists say that reporting objectively negates their own identity. I can't report the truth. I have to report it from my own angle. New York Times executive editor Joseph Kahn says the media shouldn't simply use neutral language by default. USA Today, no problem allowing reporters to write about their own experiences so long as the stories aren't too biased. Too biased? Well, who's the arbiter of that? Los Angeles Times, they allow their staff to write personal essays so they can share more of their identities. Like, so the newspaper, it's the, the journalist that comes first and not the news. Associated Press, and this will explain a lot of what you read from the Associated Press. The former executive editor at the Associated Press, Kathleen Carroll, says, it's objective by whose standard? That standard seems to be white, educated, and fairly wealthy. So all pretext that be a standard of objectivity out the window. Now, this comes on a day when Bob Woodward of the Amazon Prime Washington Post of Woodward and Bernstein fame says that reporters at the
Washington Post had a lack of curiosity when he warned them that the Steele dossier was full of holes. He said they ignored his warnings about the shortcomings of the infamous Christopher Steele dossier amid the, amid the feverish Russiagate media coverage. This was a lengthy report in a lengthy report for Columbia Journalism Review. Jess Girth interviewed media and political figures wrapped up in Russiagate. And what they found. Readers had been cheated by the coverage. We all know that. It was totally biased. In the name of diversity, I guess. Biased coverage. Bob Woodward of the Post told me that news coverage of the Russia inquiry wasn't handled well. He thought viewers and readers had been cheated. He urged newsrooms to walk down the painful road of introspection and and look at what they did. But they won't. Instead, we get stories, ladies and gentlemen, today about how objectivity is a thing of the past. Objectivity means it's too white, it's too rich, meaning wealthy. And remember, um, these guys, some of them got Pulitzer Prizes for a hoax story. And they have never once said, you know, we need to give these Pulitzers back. It was a hoax, and we didn't report it. There has been a major, major victory with Governor DeSantis. We'll talk about that. We had a lot to do. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurdly. It's our rush hour. Your call's always welcome. 800-848-WABC. Coming back right after this. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Rush. It's the Rush Hour with Bo Snurdly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Stone bring us back on WABC Talk Radio, 77 in New York. It is Heritage Time, the New Heritage Foundation. And with us is their star, Dr. Kevin Roberts. How are you, Dr. Roberts, today? James, I'm doing great. It's always wonderful to be on your show. I love having you here, and we love having Heritage uh, become a regular part of this show, uh, the new Heritage. Now, let me ask you, Dr. Roberts, the debt. Today, Kevin McCarthy, new Speaker of the House, supposed to sit down with Joe Biden. Every news story that I see alludes to something that, yeah, the Republicans are going to demand spending cuts, but no one quite knows what the spending cuts are. It's all elusive. Nobody, and, and of course, there were these the the uh, shakedown has already begun, which is even though there was a CBO report last week that said 
Social Security cannot sustain itself past 2030 with the current spending levels. Democrats are already out demagoguing uh, this issue and saying that, you know, of course, Republicans want to slash your Social Security and your meta, the usual stuff. So what should Republicans, what should America be looking for from this debt, this continuing debt ceiling debate? The most important thing is recognizing there's there's likely to be a deal. The, the president says he's not negotiating, but obviously he's negotiating. And the substance of that deal need to be, needs to be as follows. Whatever amount of money the debt ceiling is increased by, say it's $2 trillion, there needs to be corresponding dollar-for-dollar cuts on the discretionary spending side, starting with the egregious amount of money we have spent on so-called COVID relief. And we need to do that on a temporary basis so that on ground of our choosing, on the choosing of conservatives, that we're able to talk about the, the substantive reforms to those safety net programs that you just outlined. It's really important that conservatives avoid the trap that the, the media, obviously their friends in Congress and in the White House want to set, which is to say that just by talking about making cuts means we're going to go into some sort of default. It's not going to happen. So I think McCarthy, believe it or not, James, has actually played this really well. And, and I know that, that my colleagues at Heritage on the budget side are giving him a lot of good information, a, a lot of good guidance on how we actually win this particular fight. Well, you know, I tend to agree with you that he's playing it well. I, because here's one of the things that I, I, I didn't mention there. I think it's great that the press doesn't know what the spending cuts are that the Republicans are asking for, because if they did, we would be subject to a nonstop campaign of horror stories, how you can't cut these particular items because you're going to hurt Sally, you're going to hurt Nana and everyone else. This is what they do. So I think keeping cards close to the vest and actually sitting down and trying to negotiate this out with the president is a good thing. It's an excellent thing, but it, it sounds to me like you've you've seen that movie before. Oh where, yes. Where it was, it, and, and the good news is, you know, at, at Heritage, for example, our our, our great colleagues in, in fiscal policy have always issued what we call the Heritage Budget Blueprint. There's a menu of over 200 options of how we can trim the budget from from easy political fixes to really difficult ones that merit a longer conversation than a debt ceiling fight allows. And those in that category would be reform of Medicare and Social Security and Medicaid. We want to honor our promise to the American people who receive benefits under those programs, but also recognize, as you said, that by the end of this decade, at least two components of those programs will be bankrupt. We're just saying that McCarthy is really smart politically right now. A, by going to meet with the president, this is this is what politics is supposed to be like. This is regular order. But B, keeping his cards close to his vest. And and I would expect, I've got cautious optimism about this, James, even here in the Imperial City, that we're going to get a partial policy win on this. And hopefully it's something that as conservatives we can build on for a, a fight with even bigger stakes, which is the future of the federal budget. Let's talk politics for just one second. You just said a key word, partial. You're not expecting 100% victory, everything goes your way, because that doesn't happen in a political negotiation. There are going to be some things that we don't like coming out of this. Politics is an incremental process. You don't get very often 
the big win all at once. And is that and at the same time, we can't just accept that we're going to lose some of the issues that are. So how do we do this? How do we um, wrap our minds around the fact that this is a political event that's taking place, this negotiation? And then how do we gauge success? Man, that is the question of the week. It'll probably be the question of the year, and no surprise coming from you given your experience. Let me start with a caveat in case anyone in your audience doesn't know this. At Heritage, we are purists. We are idealists. We want the whole enchilada. But we also know that it has taken 70 years for the radical left to steadily but very persistently chip away at our self-governance and also at our pocketbooks. We are zealously committed, more than any group in D.C. and in this country, to returning all of that to the American people. But we also understand that it's going to take time. And so we believe, speaking to the political realities, that if if the speaker plays his cards well in the coming days and weeks, just as he has up to this point, that what a partial victory looks like is an agreement on a, on a dollar-to-dollar agreement. If we're going to increase the debt ceiling by X, then we're going to agree to spending cuts that also amount to X. And then that debt ceiling is going to get us to some point into the next budget cycle. And in that next budget cycle, this would be the really important thing for for you and your audience to key in on. That's where we start drawing battle lines about the future of of how, how we're going to fund the government. We can start now by eliminating all of the ridiculous COVID funding, which probably shouldn't have happened to begin with in most cases, and now has become very fraudulent. There's a really good menu of options in the short term, and obviously, as you know well, a huge menu of options when we get into a longer budget conversation later in the year. I want to turn the page for a minute and just talk about the social Americas, things that are happening. We have seen, once again, another one of these police, uh, this was unconscionable what happened in Memphis. You have five, well, now it's seven police officers that uh, are charged with not doing their duty properly. Five of them are going to face criminal charges. You have a number of EMT workers that stood around for 20 minutes after this man had the snot beat out of him. He was killed by a police beating. And we live in a society of law and order. Police officers while we do inf- respect and support law enforcement to the fullest degree possible, we do not countenance summary executions by police in America. What? And, and now today we got, once again, Al Sharpton is, is out at the funeral. There, to me, is always an absence of conservative voices on, at the scene of these things. At the scene, directly talking to the families, directly talking to the people. How do we as a country get out of this? How can we stop this cycle? I think the first important thing is to recognize that while this kind of tragedy will almost automatically swerve into the political, that as conservatives especially, we recognize the human tragedy that it is. And it is. It's unconscionable. And you've you've heard me say in, in previous visits with you on your show how important it is to us as Americans that we honor the rule of law. When you and I have talked about that, it, it's been in reference to the southern border problem and, and immigration. The, the police brutality that was on display in a gross, tragic way in Memphis 
is part of the same problem, which is that our country is coming apart at the seams when it when it comes to honoring the rule of law. That is not a domain that liberals ought to have a monopoly on, but conservatives allow them to do so. And so part of the, the new conservative movement, if you will, that heritage is not only part of, but hope, hopefully helping to lead, is one that is very outspoken about that. It doesn't mean that we're, we're raising the specter of past problems in America. We're talking about the present. We're talking about a young man who was murdered by, by cops, and we have to fix that. And so coming into the politics and policy of it, it's really important that we understand the radical left in Washington, D.C. is already using this as, as, a, as evidence, quote unquote, to advance a really radical reordering of how we do law enforcement in this country. So this issue cannot allow, to, to sum up here, it cannot be allowed to undermine some of the progress we're making with law enforcement in this country. That is all the more reason for conservatives to be really involved in speaking out about it. And I want to be one of those voices uh, with you at Heritage speaking about this to the people that need that conversation held in their neighborhoods, not on not just on radio, not in Washington, but in their neighborhoods where they can be part of the conversation, too, in, in, in the future. We have to change. And there's a responsibility on both sides here. There's all when I say both sides on all sides, because it's more than one side here. There is a responsibility for, of course, law enforcement. But there's also a responsibility that has to come from the community as well on how we how we view law enforcement and how we interact with law enforcement. These are these more time than we have here today. But I hope we can continue this dialogue. And please, uh, before you leave us, tell us how people can get involved with Heritage and help Heritage, this new Heritage Foundation, which is active, trying to help people change our lives and break these cycles that have harmed America. How can people get a hold of Heritage and what can they do to help? Thanks, James. I just want to enthusiastically agree with your point about working together on this issue. We want to do that with you and with your audience. But if someone is interested in jumping into the fight with us, they can come to heritage.org. They can see all of the work that we're doing. Yes, you will see a few pieces of evidence of of so-called white papers. But keep in mind this. Every word we write at Heritage is oriented around taking back Washington, D.C. for the American people and increasingly state capitals. So we welcome your friendship and help along the way. Dr. Abbott, thank you as always. James Golden here, Bo Snerly. We'll be back, ladies and gentlemen, your calls, 800-848-WABC, right after this. I hope you receive the love I'm sending. Watch this. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This is The Rush Hour with Bo Snerdley on the Red Apple Podcast Network. WABC Talk Radio 77 in New York. James Golden here with you. Bo Snerdley on our Bo Snerdley's Rush Hour. 
emotion. Let's head to the telephones. Time is short. Hey, Jason, let's let's hold. Let's play this song again tomorrow. We can hear a little bit more of it. I love this song. I haven't heard it in ages. Yeah, WABC. Let's get to the phone, Susan in Brooklyn, New York. How are you, Susan? Oh gosh, I'm barely hanging in there. I'm so dis- just disturbed by so many things. But what's going on with Adams? I thought he was for charter schools, and now is he backing away, or is he just too timid to stand up for the minorities who are disproportionately stuck in these schools, not performing? We spent over $30 billion a year in New York City on 1.2 or 3 million children. And this is a disgrace. Why isn't he banning with Hochul right now that this has to be done? More charter schools. And we have over 232 failing schools in New York with that. That's what you get for your money. That's what you get for your money. Failing schools after failing schools. Now, Hoko has said she wants to expand it. I have not heard from Adam, so I don't want to say one way or another. I haven't read anything that he said about it. So we have to keep our eye out and see what he says. But if we are going to make a change, this cycle of failure in New York education, Susan, has to be broken. We have to start educating children and let them come into adulthood prepared as best they can be for a future that is not only prosperous, but one where they can basically access the American dream. You can't do it if you don't know how to read, write, if you don't know. And we are becoming an increasingly higher tech society. This, we, we cannot abide failure. We cannot. Well, we had a busy day, only time for one call. And it was Susan. Glad you called. We will be back tomorrow. There are so many stories we didn't get to today. As I said, Ron DeSantis has had a huge, folks, this is huge. He's been once again pilloried in the national press, lied about, smeared. He doesn't. We had that columnist the other day that said he wants to erase black history. It's a bunch of bull. The advanced placement test that he brought to the nation's attention has now been changed. And in those changes, by the way, for the first time, it is acknowledged that black conservatives also exist, not just liberalism. That's what's happening in Florida under the leadership of Ron DeSantis. So that's a good thing. The education, he's taking this head on. And we've sat around conservatives and complained about it for years. He's actually taking them head on. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about this ESG policies that now are coming under fire and a potential lawsuit, more liberalism that is being defined and stood up to. Go to Heritage, see what they're doing too. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurley, it is always a pleasure to be with you. And I hope you're here tomorrow and the rest of the week and for our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. In the meantime, my friends, my dear friends, may God bless and protect each and every single one of you and your families and your loved ones. We'll see you tomorrow, God willing. Bye. 
James Golden, known popularly as Bo Snurdly. This is The Rush Hour with Bo Snurdly. Rush. On the Red Apple Podcast Network.